Hi, I'm Bill Kennedy with the Arden Podcast, and today our very special guest is Matt Ryer, all the way from England, right, Matt? You're living in London? That's right. Nice. Yeah. Got nice it. to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for in, uh, accepting our invitation. I'm so excited to talk to you. And we've met before, and we've talked a little bit, but... I don't think we've ever really talked about how you got into the industry and kind of where you are today. And I have to imagine it's going to be uh, it's going to be a fun hour. So what I like our guests to kind of start off with, because we try to create a timeline, is to take two minutes and give everybody a sense of like where you are right now, what you're doing right now. Um, so we know where we're, where, where we're kind of leading ourselves to. Hmm. Okay, yeah, so, well, I'm building projects, it's kind of what I love doing, creating and coming up with ideas and, and trying to solve problems and use tech to do that in various ways. Um, so I'm doing that at the moment, we, we, we have a few products that we're sort of, um, just sort of at the phase of now starting to market and start to talk about and grow a little bit um, and that's Pace and our Fire Search product which is a search thing that came out of that um, and you know I like having sort of diverse things to work on so um, I have uh, other ideas and projects that I'm working on as well trying to get them going um, like I have a Bitbar project which is a uh, put, put the output of any script into the Mac OS menu bar so it's like you can it's great for hackers, like you can just make any little program and get information in your Mac menu bar. Uh, and, and I'm doing a rewrite of that because that was Objective-C, uh, which I, it's kind of like a dead language a little bit now. And I, I couldn't help with the project. So we've managed to find a way to do a rewrite in Go, which is very exciting. So I'm doing that too. Um, and that's it really. I like... Um, I like that process, building those bits and pieces and getting them, hopefully solving real problems for people. And I also do the Go Time podcast, as you know, uh, which is a lot of fun to do. And you know that I get to meet amazing uh, people and get to speak to uh, some some really interesting uh, people, which is such an honour and a pleasure to do, you know, it's great. So I want to explore this at some point in the next hour, but I have always seen you as a serial entrepreneur. And for me, it is ridiculously impressive how you're able to identify product, then build it where you're helping. Like Arden is a consulting company, but we're always talking about product, 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 product. And we're always like, that's not going to work. That might work. Well, we can't dog food that. And then I turn around and suddenly you got pace. And before that, you had machine box. And I'm scratching my head. And I want to explore that. I, wanna, I don't want answers to that yet. But I'm going to be somehow trying to figure out how you're able to identify product. And we all know an idea is an idea. You execute like massively on these things too. Uh, so I'm excited to kind of explore all of that. And I definitely want to get to the Red Sox at some point <laughs> with your uh, – <laughs> I want to get there. All these things that I think are super fascinating and interesting. And 
for people out there that are looking to build product and want to be an entrepreneur, I think there's, there's something there that I really want to explore with you. Now, with all that being said, right, I want to go back in time, Matt. I want to go way back in time. Are you going to buy a Bitcoin? Yeah, let's go even farther back, Matt. And I, I want you to think about kind of one of your earliest memories of maybe programming, not necessarily the first time you worked with a computer. Or how about the first time you created something and, and the, the feelings you had about that and how old you were? Let's get some dates involved, too. Mm. OK, well, I was programming from when I was very little and I hear this story uh, a few times. You hear it quite a lot, actually. Uh, it was I was with my dad. He was always interested in computers, so we always had a computer around. So it was really early adopters, and I'm talking like a Spectrum, Sinclair Spectrum, and then later Amigas, and um, before PCs later. So we always had computers around, and I just loved it. Um, we would copy the code from computer magazines. So there's this, uh, it used to be this Amiga format magazine that I would get. And it would have programs in there that you could just copy out, basic programs. Um, and as long as you typed it correctly, <laughs> you would have like a game or a program or a tool or just something. And then, of course, you could change it and tweak it and, and break it and, and, and kind of see how it worked and what it was really doing. And I was just hooked on that process. I think I was about six years old when I used to do this. I would type. My dad would read it. I remember he'd lie on the couch um, reading from the magazine and then I would be typing <laughs> into the uh, computer. So he had you typing the code so he didn't have to do it, right? <laughs> I, guess, I guess so, yeah. yeah. I remember one time he was saying, uh, he was saying, you know, qu quote, quote marks. He, was, he would call them 6699. And I remember him reading this out, and every time he said it, I was pressing six six and nine nine. <laughs> so obviously, it didn't work the program, and there was a, oh. the end of the whole program didn't work at all. Um, and it was it was too much to go back and change it. So I couldn't be bothered. But um, we'd have little mistakes like that, um, and it was all kind of like fun process. Like it was the, doing that with my dad was like um, the thing that I think was a a big pull for me um and then but, but sometimes the, we'd type it incorrectly if you could imagine that and it would work and then you'd have like a little pool game or something um that you could you know knock balls around and and things and and then we'd go and say well how could can we make the pockets bigger to make the game easier um can we just have no pockets could we um <laughs> have no sides so it's like a pool table with no sides, you know. Um, and it was that kind of experimental process that I just loved. It's, it was the kind of controlling this world, creating these worlds, and then being able to change them and, and experiment in them that, that was kind of amazing. I'm curious about your father just a little bit then. What was, was he an engineer? Was he, was he doing technical things? Uh, just a little bit about what your dad was doing at the time, I guess. Yes. No, he was a miner, actually, in the... Uh, I'm from Mansfield in England. It's a small town uh, near Nottingham, uh, you know, Robin Hood. Um, and 
it, that's a mining town. So there's, there, was, there were lots of pits in that area. Um, and so that was why he moved there. He's actually from the south of England. Um, but he, he just always had a love of um, the, 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 these computers. It was, he, he, he felt like it was the future. And no one believed him, you know, they just thought it was a thing that you play with. Um, but he could see that there was potential in these, this thing. He, he believed it was gonna, they were going to be important. Um, so he, that was like, that would justify it. Because often my mum would say, he's been on the computer too long, he needs to go outside now. You know, which is a classic. Um, I've, I don't have, I've never had to go outside now you know like <laughs> learning the computers was the thing i don't have any skills of being outside but i don't need them you know do, do you have siblings was yes. do you have siblings that you had to compete with dad's time on or was this your thing with dad like you're the one who showed interest right like i'm curious about that yeah yeah actually the the, the computer was always my christmas present but it was always with the caveat of you have to share this with everybody. Everyone gets to use this. And that was just kind of normal then. Obviously, if that happened now, I'd kick off. Like, if I get a gift, that's my gift. I'm not sharing that. Um, but, yeah, so, so it, was, it was that. I remember always dominating the computer for sure. I, but that's because there wasn't that much interest in that. But... I would build little things for my brothers, like I remember once building a traffic light system so they could play cars and the screen would be red and then it would go, you know, it would change mm -hmm. through the colours to green and let them go. Um, so that was kind of... So you're the oldest? You were the oldest brother? Are you the oldest in the... Yeah. So you had some authority already kind of to take ownership? Yes. And it was kind of how I would join in playing the game because I wasn't that interested in playing cars, maybe. Um, but I still want, you know, I don't know, I still wanted to join in uh, with them. Uh, so I would do it by that and, I, you know, build little text adventure games and silly little things, really. But it was just so much fun. And really, the, ima the ima imagination was the limit on that, even though it was basic code and very rudimentary graphics. Um, you know, it still was just so much fun. All right, so... You're starting this at, you're saying, around six years old, which puts you, I'm going to, I have to use U.S. like school system terms. I don't know how much they apply, so correct me, but that would be elementary school in the U.S., right? Like we did elementary school through sixth grade, which I think puts you at maybe about 12 or something. So you're, well, I guess maybe 12 was middle school, but you're, you're doing this in early age. So I can't imagine that your elementary school has computers in it yet. So I have to maybe imagine that when you get to that middle school, there's got to be some computer classes at that point. Like, when did you, or did you even bother to do anything from a high school to middle school with, with computers? Because you had to be super advanced ahead of everybody at that point. Yeah, actually, what you know, because I was, I, I would, that would be what I was doing for fun. So actually, we did it in in our elementary school. We call it infant school. Uh, we did have a computer, and it was this BBC Micro computer, um, which was uh, kind of, I don't know, you know, you can Google them. The, it's amazing. There's actually a bot now, a Twitter bot, where you can give it some code and it will run it and return a GIF of the program. Um, 
so it shows you, and it's there's some amazing things people are doing there. But I do have an early memory where I think I was about six or seven, and the computer had broken, and somehow uh, one of the other kids knew that I liked computers, so they sent for me, and I remember uh, someone coming into class and saying, you know, um, can Matthew come with us? I used to be called Matthew. And they'd say, yeah, we want Matthew, we need Matthew to help. And I was, I remember being really nervous because I, I was probably in trouble for something. <laughs> um, so I went to this computer and I remember it was just, some programmers just crashed, basically. Um, and it was a computer I'd never seen before. But I remember that I had, it had a similar keyboard layout, the QWERTY one. And I recognised, like, the break key. It used to be a key that break key where you could just press it and it would it would you know interrupt the program because it was all interpreted basic and so I pressed that key and it broke into the program Mm. and then I just thought I don't know what I'm doing but I'll just try what I do at home and I typed list and then it was like the matrix all the code just (laughs) really fast I don't know why that's even a (laughs) I don't know why that was even a command like (laughs) it's no use to that um, you type list and so it was like the matrix all the codes shot across the screen and then I just typed run and it started working again wow. and so to, I basically just restarted yeah. it it's, it's the classic have you tried turning it off and on again but I think to the teachers that looked I mean I can't imagine what that would have looked like yeah that must have been mind blowing wow so I, I'm one of the things I want to explore while you're in middle school and high school are kind of two things. I want to explore were you still kind of heads down, and I think maybe you already said this, um, like computers was kind of it for you even through junior and high school, or were you doing other things like sports or music, or was there something you were splitting your time with? Yes, I was always... Um, I was always interested in music, so I do, um, and still to this day, uh, play and write music. And you know, I, I see there's a, a few people, not everybody, but a lot of programmers also have um, musical interest as well. I feel like there's some kind of synergy between those two things in some way, but I don't really know. Um, so yeah, I would. I would do that. I would do a lot of music. I was in bands. Um, I would. St- I started a band in in school as well, and actually the 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 IT lessons at school weren't very good because you know we didn't have like a dedicate. There wasn't a de- dedicated curriculum. I don't think yet. I think my year group may have been the first year to even have IT classes in in the school. We're talking like what grade are we talking? And what year are we talking? Because that that helps everybody. Yeah, I think around 96, maybe, around then. Yeah, um, but the thing is, they weren't IT teachers. They were like a geography teacher that had an interest, so they had to do the IT class or something. So, um, bless them, I kind of already knew more than them, and I really don't like saying that, but... Um, but it's definitely true. I mean, I you know we we do like spreadsheets. That's what the the lessons were. They were like how to use spreadsheets and and desktop publishing. Remember desktop publishing? <laughs> um, 
And so it was things like this, which um, was, I was already very familiar with. Um, and I remember, like, at one point I was hand-coding HTML and CSS to build a website for the music teacher. And, uh, again, it was another one of those times where I must have looked like... It must have looked great, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> But for me, I was just... Yeah, yeah. And, and most people were nice about it. Some people really didn't like it. One of the teachers in particular really didn't like that, didn't like the fact that I was doing that kind of thing. And we actually would say, stop doing that. You need to do your exercise, which is make a heading and some text on a, in a Word document instead. Um, so that really put me off kind of education at that I think that's what happened at that point I was really put off and so I didn't bother with IT classes at school much I would just go and probably mess around a bit too much and do pranks like in word you know the auto the auto change where you could change words there's a setting where you could do it so I'd I'd change I'd put it in so that and would change to the and, th- and things like that. So people are trying to type the work and the sentences don't make any sense after. I have, I, I resisted. I, I can hear somebody screaming in the background, Matt, every time something was not behaving. <laughs> Matt! <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. It's true. Actually, what they would do, I remember one time, because I would, I would do it and then kind of go and just watch from afar <laughs> and just see what happened. And I remember the teachers would just turn the computer off and say, that one's broken, <laughs> just use a different one. Uh, I resisted the urge of using expletives and things, by the way, which I was very proud of myself at the time, because like, that would be very easy to do. Um, I much preferred the fact that you didn't really notice until you read it back and it's just gibberish <laughs> language. Oh, you keep it, it's subtle, so yeah. it lasts longer, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's so That's I'm, yeah. I'm really interested in the idea of the music because I have to imagine by the time you're in your last three or four years of schooling before university, that you're dedicating more time to your music than you are the computers. Like, how are you finding? How are you splitting your time at that point? I mean, you started at six. Like you, the passion's there. You're loving it, but I have to imagine music starts to take over in those last few years of, I'm going to call it high school, but your last few years. Yeah, it probably did. I mean, at that point, programming was just a thing I could do. So I would do it when I needed to do it for some reason. So in a sense, it was, it, it probably became less of a novelty and an exciting thing. Having said that, I still to this day, I'm excited when things work, you know, and when I can actually make something happen. I, I still have that same feeling of, of satisfaction when code works. Uh, so it would have never left me for sure. But yeah, I did start to do more and I was socialising more as well with people. Um, and And so, yeah, I think my time did get split there. We had a, like I said, we had a school band that we started um like a indie pop band playing like oasis songs and if you know oasis and beatles songs and things like this um so that was that was very that took a lot of time and it was a very rewarding process as well um and again i think it's the same you sort of get to be creative uh a lot of the reasons why i love programming or why i love music as well um 
and it's I don't know I, I just I just find it to be I, th- I think they're very similar it feels very similar to me not just because they both involve keyboards but for other reasons well there's technical aspects and creative aspects to both so yeah. I'm now okay so you're you're about to graduate you have to make some decisions about university or, or what your next steps is like what year are we talking now and and what's going on to your head is it heads down i'm gonna pursue computers as a career music as a career or i just don't know still what i want to do yeah well i think because i was put off from the it classes i think that sort of spoiled my attitude towards education so i actually didn't go to university at all um I stayed on at school. There's an option in the UK to stay on for a couple of extra years at school um, and do additional, you know, just sort of carry on and do additional things. And it's this higher level, slightly higher level education. So I did, I was doing that, but um, at at that time I was kind of doing websites for people on the side, like little jobs, um, usually for free. Um, And we also still had our band. Um, and we wanted to pursue that. So, yeah, university was just... I, I kind of regret it in some ways, but um, the decision at the time was just... I just wasn't interested. I, I think because the IT education I had, well, they didn't teach me anything, essentially. Um, that put me off, I think. And so I didn't. I was just dismissed it. And nobody was able to convince nobody convinced me some people tried but not very hard so um i I just i just didn't bother with that after so you're kind of Um, starting out of the gate as an entrepreneur because you're 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 kind of starting your own little business building websites that are giving you i have to imagine enough money to then be able to do your music i'm also assuming you're trying to get paid gigs with the music at the same time at the time at the time, I made more money doing playing in pubs, which was um, we'd get paid in like Coke and pizza. <laughs> the value of it was a lot more than I was getting from doing websites. I was doing websites, but just for free, because I didn't I didn't really know that um, you could like charge money for it. I, you know, it was a fun thing that I liked doing, so that's why I was doing it for people. Um, in fact, I was convincing them oh, I should have a website. So, if anything, I had to pay them to do. I'd give them a slice of pizza to do it, so let me do it. So, um, what happens... Okay, I have to imagine that something happens where you're like, okay, I have to, like, start generating money. I, I have to kind of find my my path in terms of being self-supportive. It's not happening with the band. I can't give away websites anymore. So, like, how much time from from those couple extra years to you getting, I'm going to call it your first real job, if mm. right? Like, what happens yeah. in your life that makes you realize that I have to now shift these gears and do the next thing? Yes. Well, I yeah, they kind of, there was a parallel track because I, I, what happened was I got paid for something. And that was the first time I just had my own money. Because I was just living at home with my family. Um, Like my brother had gone working and was making money. 
Uh, and my sister had actually left to join the RAF, which is the British Air Force, um, the Royal Air Force. And so they were making money. And I was just not in, not very interested in that for whatever reason. And I did get paid one time um, for something, just a small amount. And I was able to then get something from a computer. And then I was like, oh... I get it. That's why it's good to have this stuff. Um, How old do you think you so were? I, How old were you, you think, when you had that when you had that moment? I'm trying to are you at this point eighteen, nineteen? We're yeah, talking like ninety, ninety eight maybe, like trying to gauge yeah, right. Think about I think about two, yeah. I think about two thousand. Okay. Uh, it was. Yeah. And about that age. Um yeah. And and I, and then there was this there was a job in the newspaper, um, which was a web developer job, um, and I went to the interview and got the job. This was in the little um, town of Nottingham. Yeah, Mansfield. 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 It's, it's Mansfield. even smaller. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So there's it's it's amazing, and it was a little agency basically. It was an ISP. They it called itself because they it not only it did dial up, it did everything. It was like you could have dial up from it. They had a, a like a online shop, so they had like an e-commerce element to it. Um, and and yeah, we were just sort of there building websites. And what, were, what, and that, what did you get was, paid, Matt? What was this first job in two thousand to build websites at a small ISP in Mansfield? Mansfield. Thirteen thousand pounds a year. Thirteen, nice. But I tell you what, that was five, basically five hundred pounds a month of just cash that was mine after tax. Like, the, and that was life changing for me because I'd never had any money before. Um. So yeah, and it was minimum wage actually. It was like a that was the lowest I could have possibly got paid legally. You know. <laughs> Um, and actually it was funny because the, I had this, I had quite a bad experience. Well, the, the good, I had a good experience and a bad experience there. The, the good experience, if we focus on the positives first, it was where I first was able to see, uh, code using ASP served through localhost dynamically. So all my programs before had just been interpreted or things that you run. It wasn't web-based. And I used to write ASP, I remember writing ASP pages and sort of just either serving them directly in the browser or serving them through a web server but not being processed as ASP. So the code would just show up in the browser. And it was like, it's really infuriating. And, and it was just a gap in my knowledge. I didn't know how you make it not just give the code, but run it. And there was a guy there, um, who I'm still friends with, Alan Mead. And he knew about uh, internet information services and was able to help me have, have it served through localhost. And that was another one of those moments that I've, I've, I remember that day. It was like a significant day for me because it was like, now I can do this. Like, all, it's endless. All the possibilities now are endless. It was that door um, you needed so yeah. open. It was that mind-blowing door that just yeah. expanded your universe like tenfold. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I want to get to so you've got this first job. How long how long you are you at this first job? 
you're there like a year you're there a couple of years you're yeah it's a year i think about a year and a half it didn't end well and that was the negative experience that i was talking about but essentially what happened was my boss said i'm going to give you an 11% pay rise if you work really hard for this month in september so if you work really hard in september you have to come in early you have to work late you know every day weekends if you need it if you do all that you'll get an 11% pay rise which he explained is an enormous pay rise and so i did it i was excited i was like okay i've got like a mission i'm going to do this and i was really kind of behind it and i couldn't wait to tell my dad that i was going to get this 11% pay rise which i'd been told was a great pay rise which of course it is depending on your starting salary of course right right but still but still 10% um, that's a lot and this was 11. Yeah, yeah. This was 11. Yeah. So that's like spinal tap kind of pay rise, <laughs> isn't it? This pay rise goes up to 11. Yeah. Why don't you just make 10 a bigger? This one goes to 11. Um, that wasn't me doing an impression of spinal tap. This is just how I talk. Um, so the, it was like the last day, the last day of September. And I was so excited to tell my dad. And he was driving me to the office. And he said, oh, by the way, congratulations on the pay rise. And I was like, what? How did you know about that? He said it was in the newspaper. So I was like, what? He said, yeah, minimum wage is going up 11%. Oh, my God. Yeah. No way. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my yeah. God. So, oh, my God, Matt. So what happens yeah. now? You've got to be... well." Livid. Yeah, I, I yeah, absolutely. I, 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 it dawned on me what had happened, um, and yeah, I just said, okay, don't take, don't take me to the office. I'm not going. You know, and I just didn't go. I sent him an email, just explaining what he'd done, just in just the facts of what what had happened, and I just said, so therefore, you're probably never going to see me again. Um, and I haven't seen him again since. Um, wow. So, yeah, that was wow. And you know, yeah, I feel like kind of like that experience didn't. It wasn't you know didn't set me up for uh, great trust relationships and things like this. Like you know, it's um, it probably did some damage early. Um, but yeah, it was. I was yeah, just my heart kind of, feels heavy right now. Like. Yeah. Like that is, I don't even have the words to describe how horrifically immoral and unethical that was. My heart hurts. Hello. Oh my God. That's, and at yeah. your age, I mean, at the end of the day, that's a trauma at your age. Yeah. That's a trauma. Yeah. I mean, how are you yeah. supposed to take anybody on face value ever again when something like that? Oh my God. So, yeah. so I imagine you told your dad. What happened, right? Mm -hmm. What was your dad's advice at that point? Do you remember? Um, yeah, he was just supportive. I mean, you know, my upbringing was my my mum's like uh, I would describe her as a rebel. She was like th they were very interested in social justice, and um, you know, my mum was a social worker from Wales, from North Wales. Um, so like they, she grew up in, in 
real kind of poverty. Um, and so the values of uh, how you interact with people were just paramount, really, because in some ways it's all they had. Um, so there was a, they were extremely supportive. And my mum had this sort of slightly punk attitude of just like, that's it, you know, almost like, two fingers up <laughs> and that's it you don't get to do that to people and get away with it so they were very supportive of me of my reaction which was just I'm not going anymore then you know and plus it was only 500 well I would have would have been more thinking about it but it was only 500 pounds a month that was losing as it were so you know it's not like uh it's not like leaving google for well i i don't think it's like, the money as much as reason. you didn't you weren't you didn't have people to feed. You weren't in a situation where you had to keep yeah, true. other people alive. So, but I think that's irrelevant yeah. because maybe you have to hang out there for another week. But you, you were leaving one way or the other. You, you just had the opportunity to leave, not come back. So, yeah. I, I we're half an hour in. There's so much I want to get to. So I'm going to jump a little bit. I want to. I want you to give me mm -hmm. within a. How do we get from this moment? to your bit bar moment because it's I, I know it's an incredibly successful project and maybe not anybody everybody's heard right and you had that moment when the at least the readers of a particular magazine found all out about it. I, I want to kind of get there because I'm wondering mm. if that is the beginning of maybe you having success again and, and feeling like you know what I'm good. I can do this. I, you know, look at look at this product I built. I mean, was there a product that had as much success prior to that? Like, I, I'd love to try to jump this in the next five minutes. Okay. Well, there is something significant that happened to me before that. Uh, after uh, I had a few other jobs, and I was I did get other jobs and met lovely people that treated me nicely, and so. I had some also really nice experiences as well. But then um, I was still doing the band. And actually, we we got a stroke of luck with a local radio station. And they started playing our music. And then they started putting us on, like, these big tours. So we toured the UK a little bit, playing in arenas to big crowds. Like, um, we we played in Edinburgh Castle. What was the name of your band? It was called Traffic with a P and a H, and then we changed it later to Stolen. So it's kind of like... And what year are we talking now? 2002, three? 2004. 2004. 2004. You're playing in big arenas. You're yeah. opening for for what bands? Anything that... Um, well, for it was like the, the, these radio stations do these big like summer pop events um and so it was basically all the okay. all the top bands in the charts at the time um and and yeah we just we're just a no nobody knows who we are we just got lucky and then they liked us and then they were helping us for some reason and also the manager was like um a kind of pushy um like chan it would take chances and take risks and they paid off sometimes and that i learned a bit i learned a bit about risk taking from that and yeah we were just playing these arenas the biggest one was well we played in edinburgh castle that was that stands out as a memory for sure because if you google google that 
on Google Images or DuckDuckGo if you prefer. Um, the <laughs> it's a beautiful venue, uh, and we also played a festival. So you're touring with all these bands. You're touring. Yeah, you're on yeah. tour buses. So you're living that rock and roll life yeah. for for that summer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we were well, like we playing. could do an entire show about those months. The, this is yeah. This is how this is where I learned about imposter syndrome because before I knew about it because at the time we would say we would even introduce ourselves as we're like imposters. In fact, some people thought that was our band name. We 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 thought yeah, we we just felt like imposters here because we aren't these we didn't have a record deal. We aren't these big famous bands. We're not in the charts or anything. We're just there and no one can quite figure out why that we were there. So I kind of, I took from that that, yeah, you feel like an imposter, but you can't let that stop you. You just have to get on with it. You know, there, there, there's an opportunity here. So just get on with it. And we would have a lot of fun um, at, at these venues. And the audience was great because they were always there to, to, they played the role brilliantly. So like you'd come out on stage and they'd all be screaming like you know what i mean like it was just kind of crazy really really crazy um the biggest well, one Matt, was, you know i tell people i'm oh, sorry i you know i tell people that be the imposter but when you get on stage you have to be the authority right exactly like for the 20 30 hour that you're on stage you've got to shift your mind once you get off you can go back to it all day long you might do 20 or 30 mm -hmm. hours Bill, I've seen you. I've seen you. You can do that. <laughs> I do about ten minutes if I can. <laughs> I even don't say the yeah. full word minutes. I shorten that to minutes. That's how lazy I am. So, so this whole thing is over the summer in mm. two thousand four, right? This yeah. is like a three month kind of. So now you guys think that this is it. We're going to get a record label. We're going to record an album. Like mm. this is going on in your head in two thousand four. So, yeah. so what happened? Well, uh, we didn't get a record label because it turns out no record companies go to those kinds of gigs to look for new talent. So we were in the wrong place, really. We, were, um, we weren't doing it the right way. So we, we didn't get a record, uh, a record label. But what happened was, you know, we went, go back home, and that was difficult. Going back home after, you know, we, we lived together in this little house um, in in this very poor town, little village actually, off Mansfield. Um, and we were just, you know, we didn't have any money. Um, I lived, uh, we were living off, my girlfriend at the time was a, uh, working in a checkout. She was at university and she was at a checkout. Uh, so we were living off that, really. Um, and it was about six months to a year after that the because I wrote the songs that we were playing at the venues, so I got songwriting royalties, and because the gigs were so big, I got just completely out of the blue. I got like a big chunk of cash, just kind of almost. I didn't really expect it at all, um, and we were able to leave that house and move to Nottingham, um, and. And then I could I could get a proper job. Like it was hard to even get another job because I was so remote. I couldn't even afford like the bus fare to get to Nottingham and back for a month before I'd have then been paid. You know what I mean? Like genuinely wouldn't have wow. been able to take a job. Or if I took a job, I'd have had to say, "Can I have some of the money up front so I can pay the bus to come to the job?" Um, and then, but then this—that's horrible, right? Like. 
You need yeah. money to make money. You don't even have enough money for, like, I, I, that's despair for me. When mm. people can't have the things that they need, not want, right. need, because they don't have the dollars. That bothers me beyond belief. Yes. It's horrific. It, it is. So I this, agree. Yeah. This check shows up and now gives you the capital you need to do what you need to do. So you go back and you get it and now you're back in computer you're doing computers again. Yeah. And um um uh, working for a company in Nottingham much nicer company, much more grown up company actually. Um and it's a and it was a lovely experience. And then my girlfriend at the time got a a job at the Science Museum in London and then I had to move to London um, mm. and so that was like a big step it was only six months after we'd moved to Nottingham so life was really changing fast and so now what year is it? it's still 2004 end of 2004 yeah, I think it's 2005 now because this was yeah 2005 2006 time um, and and then London I'd visited a few times um, but we just had to move there. She already had the job. Um, I did a I did an interview at BT, which is British Telecom, the telecom company here, and um, they were. It was like an open day uh, kind of interview, and they this was before like the iPhone. But they said, assume you have like presence, you know where uh, location, you know where they are, uh, a good internet connection. Assume assume everyone's got this on their phone and um and then come up with ideas for things you could build so we came up with this idea just in the group of uh finding a hotel quickly um and this was like and we were even saying oh because we know their location we could show them l hotels that are nearby like we thought <laughs> that's so obvious now <laughs> but we we invented it <laughs> in that nice. interview um, nice. Yeah, well, you know, but it, that's what I love is that process of that sort of ideation and uh, be, being creative. Yeah, but Matt, I'm, you know, now I'm, I, I got another sick feeling in my stomach because was BT bringing all these young people together for free to feed them ideas about what they could do on the internet? Because you walk away and you got no rights to these ideas. Mm -hmm. And some of them could have been incredibly unique. Yeah. I don't, I don't think so only because knowing the people I, I knew I, I learned to I, le I met the people properly after because I got the job good news um, okay. but the key the reason he, I got the job he said was um, you know in these situations everyone's kind of competing for uh, to, to, to show off to put themselves in the best light of course because you're in competition they were only gonna hire there were like 10 of us and they were only gonna hire two or something like this so everyone's competing and there was a, a young lad there who, the night before, there was some booking problem with his hotel. And he'd, he was stuck without a hotel. And I was saying, we need, right, can you just tell us about this? Just tell us more about it. I was just asking him questions. Because um, I had this mindset of, like, this, this, the point of this is, as a team, we've got to come up with this thing. Um, naively or not. But they told me after they loved that because it wasn't driven by personal ego. It was about working as a team to find the best thing. You know, you, you win as a team or you all lose as a team. Um, and they, they, they liked that. And that's why they said they then offered me the job. 
Um, I think, honestly, I think for me hearing that is that you had a real sincerity and empathy for solving the problem. It wasn't about you. It was about, in fact, I, I would even venture to say you probably got lost in the process. You forgot why you were there. Yeah, maybe. You were just so ingrained in understanding the problem mm. that you, and I think maybe that's what they saw because I see that in you, like even today, like mm. what is the problem? What is the problem you're having? And mm. you, you're trying to fix it in one way or the other. Maybe they saw that. Yeah, I, 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 like, I like to think that that's it, the case because um, yeah, there were definitely people there that were dominating a little bit. And I was even interrupting them to say, you know, we, we, we've all, we're doing this particular thing, this find a hotel quickly. He had this exact situation. So, you know, he's like the user. You know, I'd, I'd been reading about, I remember I was into that. I was into learning about, um, you know, it's kind of web 2.0, the whole thing of being user-centric and, and being obsessed with what the user experience is and things like this. So that was very fresh in my mind and has never left me for sure. Um, so yeah, I don't know, but I do like the fact that it w I then got the job and it was kind of rewarded that behavior, um, even if, yeah, maybe it wasn't the, the best thing to do, but it turns out it was okay. So get me to your bit bar, yeah. because now I'm starting to realize the, that all of the things that you're doing do have that UI UX component. And I know with Pace, you were really pushing on Twitter the the UI that you the UI and UI, UX that you had mm. built like I could tell from you how excited you were about because it's a problem that had been solved yeah. already like pace is a problem that's been solved and my brain even went why is he jumping into this space this problem's mm -hmm. been solved what does Matt see but I'd love to try to get there in 15 minutes but the bit bar is just super interesting to me mm. because is that your that's one of your bigger kind of products, right? Where your user base is in, you must have a million users at this point for BitBar, right? I actually right? don't know because I don't track things like that um, for <laughs> rightly or wrongly. Um, it, it, it has a lot though, for sure. Um, well, it came about, I was living in Colorado at the time um, and a friend of mine was um, into BitBar sorry, it was into Bitcoin. And I bought some Bitcoin. Um, unfortunately, I sold them before it's worth what it's worth now. But um, I had these Bitcoin. What year is this then? Are we talking 2010? Mm, maybe 13. I'm trying to remember when Bitcoin even yeah. came out 13. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not very good. With, I don't, for some reason, remember the yeah. dates, history. That's like fair. That. Yeah. Um, well, and so I had these Bitcoin and of course the price was changing all the time and I wanted to just have a glance of the value that I could, so I could just glance up at the menu bar. So I started to, uh, to use Objective C to build that. And I remember struggling with making like web requests in, in Objective C. Even today, if you look on, if you Google how to or search DuckDuckGo to, of how to, uh, get get uh, just to make a web request it's kind of surprisingly complex because it's quite low level and these you know weren't so weren't solved in the way that they're served in modern languages like go 
Um, and I knew how to do it with a curl command. So I thought, what I'll do is I'll, I'll just shell out to this other script. And that also means that I could write other plugins for this just by an executable. It reads standard out and uh, puts and uses that to build the menu, essentially, uh, and the menu bar bits at the top. It's a dead simple API. Um, and, you know, I liked the fact that I could I could do this work once and in theory, in my head, other people could do it to solve, add their own problems. Like, I don't know what they are. Um, and, th and there's something that appeals about that uh, multiplication of your effort of the, or the value that you create um, for its own sake. You know, I was never thinking it would be make money or, or get any serious interest. It was just to kind of put it on GitHub and um, make it available and just see. And people started um, writing plugins. And I think uh, in the early days, you know, there were just a few that people added and some people were using it and they liked it and, you know, fixing bugs and things. This was kind of my first experience of working in a open source situation. Um, and then it got in, it got to the top of Hacker News one day. Um, and suddenly, you know, the number of plugins were just absurd, like the amount of pull requests coming in and, and bug reports and things, because suddenly people are trying it in all different situations and really pushing it and stretching it to its limits. Um, and I just I had to take a day off work to manage just sort of all this uh, communication that I was getting, uh, you know, and, and so I kind of loved it that some of the things that people built blew my mind. One of them still remains my favorite is remember it, it, it gets the last 10 items from your clipboard. So you go about copy and pasting, you can drop down the menu, see the last things you copied and pasted or copied, choose one to put it back into your current clipboard and then paste it, you know, mm. things like that. People that that's like, that could be a complete little application, but it was just a script. It was just, um, just a simple sing all all the plugins are single files like the api is really simple for bitbar um and well, you created an ecosystem for people to be productive yeah right? i mean this is powerful tooling at the end of the day it didn't need to be complex yeah. i think the fact that it was overly simple simple gave people you know you're going to get more people if your api is simple you're going to get it's going to get implemented more times you know kind of obvious really but this this extends also to um uh, you know go and other modern programming design you know and if you think about interfaces in in go and um single method interfaces the power of a single method interface even versus just two methods is much more much more powerful um so yeah there's something in that the fact that it is and, 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 you know, lots of people wanted it to do a lot more things, of course. And there were loads of pull requests for things, adding all these features. But they just made it kind of too complicated. And the other thing I learned was, if you can solve a problem in user land, then I'm not going to put it into the into the API. If, if there's a way to solve it in user land, then by default it won't go into the API. 
Because you have more power that way. The users have then more... Well, you know, the power comes from two places, even if we're talking about single method interfaces. Mm. It's how generalized is the interface because the more generalized it is, the more flexible mm. and, and reusable right, it right. is, right? And so the one thing I, I get nervous about with interfaces sometimes is sometimes you need a strict interface like net.com. It's not, right? It's, it's representing an, a socket connection or a network connection. Mm. It doesn't need to be a reader. Uh, the problem is too many people go after that type of interface first, and they really miss out on the behavior, mm -hmm. right? But, but, but BitBar became this generalization tool with a level of flexibility that people could make it their own. Yeah. It, it, it is that single, single method interface at the yeah. end of the day, right? Yeah. Like, and, and it's so hard to get to that. Yeah. Well, one of the interesting things you told me one time was your compensation model for BitBar. <laughs> I just wanted you to share that because I find it really interesting, right? You said, don't give me money, and you put a link to what? Yes. I I needed some socks. I, I actually didn't have any socks. Um, and, yeah, I, I said, yeah, I, I didn't want to take money. I thought, if people, because people were asking, that's the thing. Like, people were asking, oh, can we can we give you some money or you know they didn't have github sponsors at the time i do now have it and it is set up so please do sponsor me but um <laughs> yeah i just happened to just be out of socks actually all my socks had holes in um you know and it was really frustrating uh and I'd, i didn't realize how many people would then buy me socks so then i started getting shipments of these red socks i just happened to have red socks was the thing um, I picked them because it was like my mum being from Wales, you know, the Welsh flag is the red dragon. Um, and also there's other reasons too for red being particularly, um, a nice color here. Uh, and yeah, I just suddenly got way too many red socks, uh, which I still have. I just still have loads of red socks so that's why i that's why i yeah. often will be wearing red socks it's just a numbers game so still yeah it's a game if you can catch matt not wearing a red sock like i'll send you a gopher you okay send some red socks <laughs> we'll send you a pair if, of red socks i may have them all <laughs> yeah the other <laughs> thing that funny. happened all right just on this final finish this off i remember the amiga format magazine i used to have with my dad I don't remember that one. I, I, I read Byte magazine, but I don't mm. remember that one. Is that a particular. food, is that a food magazine? Byte, yeah. B-Y-T-E, yeah. <laughs> <B -Y -T> -E, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, right. They do a smaller one called the Nibble pamphlet. It's like a pullout. <laughs> um, well, yeah. So Rand I stopped reading that magazine. Obviously, I didn't have an Amiga, and nor do they even exist anymore. So I think they stopped publishing them even. But there are other format magazines there's like windows format i think there's mac format um and other gaming maybe gaming ones i'm not sure and then randomly i bought um i bought one just randomly and i stopped reading them and i remember i was lying on my bed and i was just flicking through it and i literally did an intake sharp intake of breath because there was this double page spread on bitbar it was like 
power up your Mac menu bar. And it was like a tutorial and they'd written all about it, you know. Um, and I was just, I felt like I'd made it, that this was the magazine I used to read. Um, and I didn't know it was going to be in there. And I'd only bought it, and for years I hadn't bought that magazine. And I just grabbed it by pure chance. And I, and that was it. And it, you know, it was there, but, but well, um, it's the universe, I, I Matt, just making sure yeah. that you saw it. I, I yeah, do believe that be. sometimes the universe coalesces us sometimes in these interesting moments or either that or the definitely. voice in the back of your head telling you, do it, do it, do it, do it. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely felt like, uh, like, wow, couldn't, couldn't fathom that. Um, and I love, uh, yeah, so, so that was like, that stays with me as like uh, one of those moments of like, okay, wow, that's great. Um, and actually, we, as I mentioned before, we are now doing a rewrite of Bitbar. And I can, ex if you like, I could exclusively reveal its new name. It is getting a new name, actually. Okay. It's going to be called Xbar. Xbar. Nice. Yeah, Why do you want to change the name? Why do you want to change the uh, name? There's a few other companies. There's a few other tech companies and things called Bitbar. Mm. Um, and, you know, I feel like they were there before. This was like a small project. I didn't really expect anyone to see it. So I didn't do any diligence or checking yeah, to make yeah. sure the name was unique and things. But so, yes, that X-Bar is uh, unique and it's going to be new rewrite nice. in Go. Yeah, fresh code base and uh, fully open source and fully free for everybody as usual, you know. All so, right, so it'll be... Mm. We're, we're an hour in. I, I'm going to stick with... I'm going to keep you for 15 more minutes, Matt, because there I've, I've been trying to get us to this one place that I really want to explore with you. Um, and we could keep... I mean, there's so much here I still want to talk to you about. But I, I want to get to... Um, not in major detail, but machine box and pace. I, I, I want to talk about, but I really want to talk about so the people listening to this can get a good sense of how do you, how do you come up with these ideas? How do you execute on, on them so quickly? Um, it's not easy to do. I, 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 anybody listening to this, I want you to spend the next half an hour to an hour thinking about what product could you build? And, and imagine you had all the money to build it. I'm not even talking about execution. Can you think of a product right now that you could build that people need and want that you could also dog food? I, I do it all the time. And I just never come up with that. And then I open up my browser and Matt's got machine box. And then Matt's got pace. <laughs> and he starts showing off the UI and he starts showing off the workflows and he starts showing off the, the problem he's solving. And my brain goes, where did that come from? So I want you to talk a little bit about where these ideas come from, your inspiration come from. How do you execute it? What's, what's your priorities here and, 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 and how you do that? I want to stay in the last 15 minutes so others that are trying to do this maybe have some guidance and insight into what's allowed you to be. And I'm going to say it's successful and doing something that's incredibly difficult to do. Mm. Well, I think there's a, the key insight, I think, the key thing I learned is if you want to be like a 10x developer, just do a tenth of the project. Mm. 
just do just find the most important small be very strict and small about what you're doing that on that scope because then you can just do such a good job on that piece you know it's kind of like you could have this wide thing where you're going to solve all these problems but but you you won't be able to solve them all in a very uh deep way right because it's quite a it ends up being shallow because you just don't have that time if you can just find a much smaller subset you then can do uh, a lot more you can go a lot deeper on that thing and i think that by the depth i'm i'm really talking about paying attention a lot to developer experience or a user experience um the those extra value add things um you you get to do because you're not busy adding all the features that you need because you feel like this thing won't be very good without all this stuff so give me um, an example give me an example give me an example of what what is the one focus thing you did first with machine box and machine box was a, a an automated machine learning platform that you could just plug into right on the cloud yeah, and then was, paste well yeah so machine box so david hernandez gets credit for the initial idea for machine box we were working at an ai company and um and we were using google apis and amazon apis and things like this and they get quite expensive especially if you start to think about at scale running this this stuff you know we were like thinking about processing video content and using ai to understand the videos there's lots of companies that have uh, big archives and they don't know what's in them um and it wasn't well organized up front so they're kind of stuck so this was that was the problem that the the company was solving um and uh and and david actually said we might be able to do this inside a docker container and just have an api um and so when we started he built the prototype of uh, face recognition and i think he did image classification um and they kind of the the very small problems it wasn't a general ai tool it wasn't like tensorflow or something you know it was again much smaller little slivers of the problem really and that meant like once the face recognition stuff was working we we could then spend a lot of time on that developer experience um and dave chaney actually gave me a great compliment on that he said that it's one of the best developer experiences of of anything he's ever used and it was because like you'd go to the website you'd put your email address in it sends you an email so it was the magic link sign in so there's no passwords already you know you you're given the commands to paste into your terminal you know um including the key a dedicated key for you it was all just there you put it in the terminal if you have docker running it then installs the image downloads the image and runs it and then it spins up a web browser um or a web server inside the docker container and that then is where you carry on with the experience so now you're in it tells you go to localhost 8080 so now you're in the browser and the experience carries on and there's like tutorials sort of built into the docs and things like that so it's really thinking about that storytelling that experience and also trying to get the developers excited as as we get excited by this tech show 
show some of the capabilities and then and 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 kind of paint this picture let them fit, let them color this picture in and um and do use their own data and start to solve their own problems and make that really easy um and it, it, you know you can because we weren't doing like face recognition plus audio processing you know and all the myriad of things that you can use ai to do we were just focused each box was to set a very specific focus which allowed us to tell a really simple story around it so that's always my advice to people is often in fact most people are basically trying to do too much um you know when you consider the first iphone you couldn't put your own apps on it it, was, it didn't have like an app store it, that today seems like uh not good enough doesn't it it doesn't feel like a good enough product now but back then i mean this old what 1.6 billion if i remember uh iphones um and it's because they they just sort of i don't know folk, not trying to do everything uh focus on and i and sometimes i say well like we they say well our one thing is quite big because it, it only is going to work with all these pieces and then i'll ask people well what's half what's the half thing that you could build then you know like that as an exercise is is i think very valuable it forces you to prioritize the important bits you can't just spend ages building everything but it still has you... to be useful matt like you could build yeah. the one thing but if it's not useful then right and i think that's the hard part we talk about mvps all the time which are minimal viable mm. product but i think it also has to come down to the usefulness of solving that micro problem that you're talking about yeah and yeah. I'm curious if you've ever tried to build a product. There's two questions here. My first quick one is, did you ever try to build a product that wasn't solving a problem you had, that you thought others had even though you didn't have it? Um, I've made that, don't, I don't want to call it a mistake, but I've, I've been yeah. down that path and it yeah. wasn't a very successful path yeah. for me. You have to be able to dog food I think what you're yeah. doing, it's, right? It's so it's so much harder if you're not building it for yourself, because you you have to you really have to get into the mind of of the person with that problem. And often, you know, it, it, we it's not just about features and stuff. It's it's really emotional. Like when when you're using software, you know how frustrating it is. Sometimes my trackpad uh, stops working just randomly. I want to discuss that trackpad into the water, into the Thames, mate. Just straight. <laughs> I, 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 it is an emotional thing. It's some Bluetooth connectivity or something technical, but I don't care about that. You know, I'll pop it in a blender. I'll happily pop it in a blender um, to destroy it. I, that's how I feel about it. And I think that's right. I think instead of it's like, oh, we shouldn't be so emotional. It's like, well what we're humans it is emotional building you know using software is emotional so if you can try and make people happy that's quite a good goal like as a mission to for some a piece of software is, is and, I, the... and i extend that to my go package design as well i want people to kind of smile when they're using it if possible you know 
for me, that happiness, I think, I could be wrong here. I, the happiness comes in terms of not wasting a second of my time, especially now that I'm 51, because I don't have a lot of time left, right? I always imagine myself <laughs> sitting on my deathbed thinking about all the time I wasted. And the last thing I want to be thinking about is how Matt Ryer wasted five minutes of my time because he didn't get that feature right, you know? <laughs> And I think happiness sometimes comes from the fact that you're being so productive with minimal effort that you get to mm. do more in those five minutes than maybe you did in the last hour. Yeah, I think you're right. Time, time is a thing for sure. Uh, and, um, and things like with Bitbar, you know, I know I love building little tools. And so I, I, it, Bitbar enables people or Xbar enables people to do that as well. And that's a very fun process. So I think people are having fun when they write plugins for Bitbar. I don't think they are doing it. Uh, I don't think there's many that are doing it because it's their job. They have to do it. Um, you know, it, it's, yeah. yeah. So here's my other, in that for sure. here's my other question. Yeah. And I think having fun and having that positive experience on top of time is important. But my other question that I want to ask you is that and I don't have this mindset, which I think you do. When I'm building something or engineering something for the first time, I do think about the person who has to come after me to maintain it. But I don't think about it as a product first. In other words, that it could also be used to solve somebody else's problem or could be used in somebody else's shop. I don't think we do that enough as an industry, right? I mean, Slack came about from a tool that was used to solve a problem with the company that was trying to build games or something, right? Like, mm. does your brain first kind of move into the idea that I'm not just going to write this for me, I'm going to write it in a way that it can be for everybody? D do you have that instinct? That's a really interesting question because I think when I'm when I'm designing a Go package, or if I if I have to write a Go package for something that that I need, I think it can be a mistake to try and build this abstract version of it that could be useful by everybody. I actually think it's better practice to build what you need first, and then later see if there's something else. That's kind of what I did with Bitbar, Xbar, was I needed it because I wanted to see my Bitcoin in, in my menu bar. That's what I built first. Um, in, and in doing that, I was guided, like the, my effort was guided because I had a thing I needed to get to quickly. Um, and I think there is, then, a, then there's a sense of, um, is, is there a way to make it slightly abstract it very slightly that will enable that are there any it's kind of like you can definitely go too far with that i mean um you know is something that you know premature abstraction in programming i think is one of the big sins that we that we do suffer from which is why i'm very careful about this but there is something uh sometimes they'll it'll jump out and or, or it's I read once that creativity is connecting things that haven't been connected before. That's it. 
that's the basically broad definition of co- of creativity. And so I bear that in mind too. It's like, given this, are there any other things that could be mixed with in some way that that suddenly kind of creates something that's much greater than the sum of those two parts? So, so what I'm hearing is, bit, so what I'm hearing mm. is, and I teach this all the time, you build in the concrete first and then discover that abstraction. Discover yeah. where you can open up or have a second implement. But, but so you do that already. You whether it's a UI UX based product or it's a back or it's a package or you build in the concrete first. You get that concrete solution working for you, and then you ask, "All right, is this something that somebody else could use? And how can we discover the changes we need to make?" Yeah, it is sometimes uh, with experience. Sometimes you can do that quicker in your head. So sometimes I'll I'll see it already and and I'll just do it the I'll just do that first. I agree with the advice um for sure because you know often that abstraction isn't right very often and you learn so much from building it that you can only really do a good job of that abstraction once you once that's well underway. So I completely agree with that advice but sometimes I'll I'll think you know this is just a choice here like there's not it's not a lot more effort it's just a choice of how I implement this and I I can I can get a sense that it's kind of future proofing this in some way or allowing keeping those doors open for the future not closing things off so that it's hard to it's hard to articulate when that happens but sometimes I've noticed yeah we'll say just it's a choice it's the same amount of effort it could either spend ages figuring out how to make web requests in objective c or i could figure out how to run a sub process in objective c same probably amount of time to get those two things to happen but one of them unlocks and enables others and the other one wouldn't do you I have I know you work a lot with David Hernandez, right? You've been a a team for a long time. Is he part of your sounding board? Are there other people you have around you that you kind of bounce these ideas before you put too much effort into them? Or are you at the point now where you've been doing this for 20-something years and your instincts can really drive your decisions? Yeah, I've found if I try and explain things to other people they often just won't see it they won't get it um you know i remember explaining the bit bar idea to somebody and i they oh they put me off because they were just they didn't get it or it wasn't something that resonated um so i don't tend to do it too much. I do now trust my instincts on this. Obviously with David that that is a collaboration. Uh he's 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 very difficult to get get him excited about something. And so that can be tough. But it also means when he does get excited about something, you're like, "Okay, we're on to something here," you know. So it's a very useful uh gate for sure. Um but now I'm reach I am reaching the point where um and after our machine box because of I don't know if uh, your listeners or watchers know but we sold machine box that was like our biggest kind of commercial success that we've that I've ever had um and so now 
things are different. I, I now don't have to work for a paycheck. Um, so that now, now there's a kind of freedom there to do that. And I do trust increasingly my instincts on things and don't, don't need others to validate it uh, too early, if that makes sense. Because obviously the validation is vital, but I do, I do feel like I've started now to trust myself more on that and not feel so much like an imposter. Um, right. So I've got other projects that um, are they're different they're not ready to be talked about yet but I have other things that are going to be coming which I feel like are very original ideas um, and I'm very excited about them and if somebody if I speak to somebody and they say oh no that's rubbish that, that, that wouldn't be good that I won't let that stop me you know I won't let that put me off I take that as okay that's what they think completely valid um, but yeah I think you do sort of have to trust yourself. All right, I'm going to take 12 more minutes, even though this is now an hour and a half, because there, there are things. There, there's really one more question I want to, I want to get your thoughts on, because when you announced Pace, which is a, a workflow tool, right, for for people who are project management workflow tool. I mean, you, you could use it for anything. You don't have to use it for software development, though. I imagine it's a little bit tailored towards that, but. The first thought that entered into my head, Matt, was why is he putting time and money into a space that's crowded, established, because now you've got to get companies to jump off of Jira. Um, mm. And it's a problem that's been solved. So that would have been almost in my head the very first, no, I ain't, I ain't doing that. I'm going to make what's out there work because this, is, this, this wheel already exists. I want to know, I really did want to know from you, what was that even an issue for you? Did you study the the landscape when you decided to do this, or you just said, "I need this tool, and these don't have it, and I'm going to put the time in it"? Like, what's going on in your head? Because for me, I went, "Match crazy! What is he doing? <laughs> the space is yeah, the space is the space." Yeah, uh, well, it is a very crowded space, um, and really, it was it was basically like the the. The problems that I'd had throughout my career with uh, project management tools, um, and really it comes down to the the, the organisations, the structures within organisations. I think um, I do, I don't like them for whatever reason, and it's we've actually talked about this a few times before. Um, I've I've just seen there's lots of cases where the organisation is just gets in the way and for for uh, you know i i have something to say about product i also have something to say about the technical side i care about the use the ui i care about the colors in the in the browser i care about um the database and the messaging queue i care about all these things um and it, it's very natural i think but in organizations these responsibilities get divided up and what can happen and does happen a lot is project managers um, become like the most powerful people in a team and will often by accident design the software, basically design the technical things of the software just by what they choose to write in their JIRA tickets. Um, 
and and I don't just mean when they'll say we'll have a button here and we call this and you click it and it does this or um, or sometimes even like put this in the SQL database they'll say things like this you know um, not just that but even just the choice even just that work that product of deciding what's the priority here what things um, what things are we going to have um, and what what are we not going to have sometimes more importantly those decisions all impact the 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 engineering and the technology and i've read your stuff about mechanical sympathy and i think that's such a great um uh thing that people should should read about um because they they met, they have a perspective of this is this is something you know it suits the business and uh, there's customers and and the sales people are all saying this that that these customers want this feature and you, you, you the, the creativity or the opportunity to solve a problem using your own and the team's own collective talent is taken away um and i and i found that pro, that i found that to happen too many times and it could be that i should just have a product role like maybe that's the solution to it but but pace was about changing um changing the way shifting the power away from um th or shifting the power a little bit and distributing it around a little more that that that's really the way to do it one example is in pace you can't assign work to other people for example you can only accept responsibility so as a value prop that um as a as a value i mean like a um a kind of philosophical value changes so much the way that teams operate and and I've seen it in positive ways because I've run teams before uh, and I've experimented with things like this when you have people pulling work rather than it being pushed not only are they choosing the things that they're most interested in so just naturally everyone's interested in what they're working on mostly obviously there's always work that no one wants to do and that becomes abundantly clear too in this process um but they there's also um naturally people will will be they'll want to work on the things that they know they can do a good job on so it's a it's a shortcut to having the the right people work on the right things um and and you know we 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 just saw that that there's the this this philosophy and there's a few other examples of uh, features like that and in pace which to some people are just limitations that mean they won't use it um but for other teams um you know we hear from them they just they love it and you still will mention somebody in a card you create cards and say there's some work here you mention somebody's like could you have a look at this but it's a conversation it's not it's not just work being dished out and developers aren't just on a conveyor belt knocking out widgets um you know they're an active part of that project management process that's super interesting because i always when i did manage dev teams i always operated that way i always said mm. these are the next things that need to get done who wants to do what because if i asked somebody to do something they didn't want to do it i wasn't going to get quality work out of it anyway now no. i may need right. to negotiate every once in a while and say can you please just take this thing and I promise you that yes. I'm going to set this other thing up over here for you. 
right? And, and that happens. Um, and yeah. even teams that I didn't manage where we were using Jira, they operated the same way. We were successful mm. teams. So that's super interesting. Yeah. So you've changed the workflow from a dictatorship to a, a allowing the developer in that session to grab it as opposed to asking mm. the PM, okay, fine, assign that to me. Yes, yes. It does something else as well. Um, in that conversation, there's often valuable insights. So you might, you, it happens, people will mention somebody and say, could you have a look at this? And then they'll say, oh, you know what? John, uh, John should do that. Or Mary is perfect. She did the last thing. She knows about this. Um, you know, or maybe we'll pair on it or something, you know, there's a lot of that knowledge that is trapped if you aren't doing it that way. It's really interesting to hear you do it. You've, that's how you operated because you've kind of learned and you know yourself, right? Because you, you were a developer and are, so you know yourself that when you're, when you care about something, you're going to do such a good job on it compared to just getting through it. And you're right, sometimes that's unavoidable, but at least that you can be honest about that. At least then you're saying, look, I know no one wants to do auth. No one wants to implement this auth thing. If you do it, we're, you know, we'll be very grateful. And next time there's this horrible task comes along, you're off the hook. You know, you get to just, it just makes it better. It's healthier. It's healthier. Yeah. 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 It's creating empathy from a management to a, to a team, which is good. So, like, I have five, four more minutes with you. Mm. Are you going to actively do any? I'm on the, I'm on the business side now. Mm. Is because mm. it sounds like you're building other things at the same time. So, is your goal to actively do some sales and marketing to try to get even some share of the market space for new teams and new companies, and maybe even companies that are frustrated with their existing tooling or is it just out there and you're using it? And if people use it, great. And if it happens, great. I, wh what are you looking at from a business perspective here? Yeah, we're, we're definitely, uh, we aren't naturally um, going to push and sell and market in that way. We, the, the success that we've had has come about by building things that people have needed. And then, uh, you know, we haven't had to sell or convince people to use it. Um, but in reality that you do need to do that. You ha people have to find out about it. They have to understand the value prop and things. Um, so yes, this year actually is, um, is the year where we are, we're going to be pushing more those products. We have, um, our kind of early adopters using it. Um, and you know, the feedback from real users is so valuable as you know. Um, so not only do we dog food it, uh, but we have other people using it and, um, and we're able to, to, to test our assumptions. Sometimes some of our assumptions are wrong. Some things where we think, cause we, cause it's a minimalist tool. Like we've, it's a really minimalist deliberately. The goal of pace is that you don't spend really any time in it. You spend your time doing your work cause we think that's more valuable. So it's about kind of trying to do just enough for teams. Uh, to help them, um, but make sure that we are doing enough too, because you know it, it is very minimalist, and so it's that that balance that we're doing we, um, and we're working on. Uh, one of the things that changed after we sold Machinebox is now um, 
now investors come to us because before it used to be we we'd go to investors to try and get and convince them and stuff you know it's the classic uh silicon valley story um that shifted a little bit we noticed um because i think you sort of demonstrated you can do it and so of course it's kind of natural it doesn't mm-hmm. feel entirely fair like because there's plenty of talented people that can't raise money and, and things like this but um so we're lucky really and we've and all our options are on the table so it's it is just about kind of uh for us uh seeing seeing where we want to put those en- those energies and, and and see what works i mean some of it we do a lot of it we do for the love of it uh we frankly built pace for the love of it if anyone hasn't tried it i promise it's probably the fastest project management tool the ui is probably the fastest you'll use and the and it's live sync and things like this so it's like really cool uh tech that d- that just does a a really good job of it um and we didn't build all of it you know we're using services in the right place and things like this but um I, you know we we do it as well because of the love of the tech um and so and and now being somewhat more relaxed about uh, having to make money um you know we don't have that um we don't have that stress need. yeah and the stress which which it sometimes can be helpful so um but it gives us space to take our time and get it right and we've, we 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 took the search feature out because uh, we we took it out i mean and launched it as its own product which is our fire search thing that it, because we had to build search for pace um or and or rather we kind of wanted to um and we didn't we there wasn't this kind of serverless search capability google on app engine used to have a search api and they deprecated it um so so we built fire search which is firesearch.dev that is um it, you run it in cloud run it uses firestore google's uh, firebase data store thing and uses that as the backing for full text search and geo search and and a few other kind of autocomplete a few kind of features like that so that was another thing we didn't build it for that originally but we realized people were asking us actually how what search service you're using because we talk we talk quite openly about the fact that it runs on app engine and things and we ha- and we we have to tell them we we made our own but we were you know we were so pleased with it that we wrapped it up and put that out as its own product and and you know it's it's like got really simple APIs and and nice clients and things like this so we're able to again because it's quite a small project do a good job on that but we love building things and creating things we we don't love so much selling them um so i think partnerships and things like this are probably going to be in our future um where we can find people that that uh, love doing that and are good at that side of things um that can then free us to do other do the creative uh, brilliant all right we are out of time so oh, i'd like to yeah i know we could talk we could always talk but i <laughs> i gave we already went an hour and a half which i've never done but there was too much here that i wanted to explore so i want to do two things in the last two minutes um if anyone listening to this really has the desire to be an entrepreneur 
really has a desire to build product, really has a desire on that, you know, and need to talk to somebody. I, you know, Matt, I'd, I'd like to, you're, you're very open, you're very accessible. I, I, I would like to say to people, DM Matt, he'll give you 20 minutes, half an hour of his time. He really will. Um, Matt, um, I, I think from a Go community, let's say a tech community perspective, you're, you're one of the few people I know who really are a serial entrepreneur. You've been very successful here. And I think it's nice to be able to talk to people, especially early on when you're trying this. So I don't know if it's okay, but I'm going to send people your way mm -hmm. if, if, if they have questions and things. I, I, this isn't a product pitch. I'm, don't go to Matt about that. This is more about the entrepreneurial side of you know, not making maybe a few of those mistakes early on that we all make. And then, yeah. Matt, maybe you can tell everybody best way to reach out to you or contact you if they have questions after listening mm -hmm. to this. Yeah, well, I'm very happy for people to reach out. Um, I, I, I actually really enjoy it, and I learn a lot from that process too. So it's a kind of win-win from my point of view. Um, and yeah, Twitter DMs is actually the best way, at Matt Raya. That's, um, I often, I spend a lot of time on Twitter. I actually got great friends on Twitter, um, actually. Uh, so that's, that, that's where I am kind of social, socially. Um, and I just want to also say, Bill, thank you for, for, for everything you do, as particularly for the Go community, but wider tech. I mean, you know, the Go community in particular I mentioned my mum earlier and her love, her, her care of social justice and, you know, diversity um, and feminism and, and all these issues. It's a very important thing to me. And I know that you do a lot of work to support people. Um, also, like uh, Brian and Eric, Brian Kettleston and Eric St. Martin from GopherCon, you know, made it a big part of GopherCon, this, these things too. And it really is one of the reasons why I stick around in this community so much, because I think it's so important and just want to go on the record for saying thanks. I, I, I don't think you get thanked enough. I've heard lots of stories um, <laughs> of, of things that you do above and beyond that really, really does help a lot of people. And so I think it's great. Um, and please let me know and let us know how we can help more as well. Thank you, Matt. No, I appreciate that. Yep. Mm. Well, um, the best way is, what do we say on and letter, Kenny? You don't say no to your friends. So somebody asks you for help, you find a way to help them. Right? I mean, I think that's one of the best things that, that we can do. So, mm. all right, our time is up, unfortunately. But Matt, I really appreciate the hour and a half you spent with us today. Uh, this is Bill Kennedy with the Arn Labs podcast. Hope to see everybody again real soon.